I want to talk to you this morning for a few minutes. You could probably title this sermon the the demon of regret. The demon of regret. Um, something that has been on my mind is the subject of regret for a couple of weeks now. And let me define regret for you for just a minute. I jotted this down. Regret is the painful sorrow about something that has that has been done. Regret is a painful sorrow about something that has been done. And Regret is something that we all will deal with. Uh, The demon of regret will visit every one of us at some point in our life, maybe multiple times a day. Uh, And sometimes he carries a bigger stick uh, in certain situations than he does with others. But we all deal with it. Uh, The interesting thing about regret is we as human beings are limited and bound by time. Meaning that whatever happened today at, you know, at at 1030 this morning, right before the song service, none of us can go back to 1030 this morning in the song service and do anything about what had happened. We can't go back and change anything. Maybe you said, well, I wish I'd have been singing a little bit louder. Well, that's tough. You just have to do it next time because I can't we can't go back in time. You know, there's a a series of movies when uh, when when I was a kid, I guess in the the 80s, uh, you know, titled Back to the Future. And, um, you know, Josh and I would watch those movies all the time. And, you know, sometimes what they would do, they had this guy that invented a time machine. And sometimes they would use that time machine to go back in time to fix the problems that were caused. Well, we don't have that luxury. What comes out of our mouth is out. You know, one thing that uh, I teach my kids, I said, there are certain things that don't have erasers. I said, bullets do not have an, do not have an eraser. And once you turn that bullet loose, you can't get it back. And it's the same way with your words. Words don't have an eraser. Once you say something, you can't get that back and get it off the ears of whoever it's fallen on. And so we're bound by time. We're limited by time. And because we cannot go back in time, we're going to deal with regret. We're going to have some painful sorrows about things that have been said, about things that have been done. Now, there are going to be different shades of regret. Let me go ahead and say that. You may be driving down the road, which we've all done before, and you think, hey, I think I'll take this exit right here and and, and make a quick shortcut. You take this exit and you get over there only to realize there's a traffic jam on that road, and you say, I wish I'd have never turned off this road. I wish I'd just stayed on the course, but now I've exited off, and when I tried to save myself 10 minutes, I've cost myself two hours. Well, that's regret. That's a sorrow about something that has happened, but that is not a very weighty matter. But there are things that we can do and we can say that bring tremendous, crushing sorrow to us about what has been said or what has been done. And we all deal with it at some point or another. And you go back, read through the Bible, you will find the great patriarchs of the Bible all dealt with very painful regret. And the reason I... And hopefully it'll make sense uh, as I go down through here. The reason I say uh, titled it The Demon of Regret is because usually when that regret comes to us, it's coming to us with the intent of harming us, mm-hmm. with, with breaking us, with dragging us down and, and, and taking us to a place away from the Lord. And so as you sit here this morning, if you're going to drift off and not pay attention to what I'm saying, maybe drift off and think about, think about some of the things that you have said or done before that cause you sorrow. I've got a long list of them. I can think way back of things that I've said to people that I wish I would have never said, things that maybe they thought were insignificant. 
20 years ago, maybe 30 years ago, I, maybe I would say something to a friend that even now, years and years later, I still remember that and it still brings me sorrow that I said something like that that, that could wound one of my friends. Right. Or maybe it's things that I've done, but you go back through the Bible and you'll find that it's not the, you know, it's not the rebellious, uh, wicked, terrible person out there that deals with regret. It's all of us. Mm-hmm. And even the patriarchs of the Bible, you think about Moses, how sweet of a, 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 a fellowship Moses had with the Lord. And as Moses, who has been chosen to lead the people out of Egypt and lead them to the promised land, along that journey, the Lord tells Moses, I want you to speak to the rock. This is the second time that he gets water from the rock. I want you to speak to the rock so it will bring forth water for the people. But what happens is Moses, who knows what he was thinking, but he takes his staff and instead of speaking to the rock, he strikes the rock twice. And because of that, the Lord tells him, he says, all right, the deal has changed. I will let you see the promised land from a distance, but you're not going to go into it because of what you've done right here. And you can read over in the uh, book of Deuteronomy that Moses goes up onto Mount Nebo on the top of Pisgah is what it says. And he's allowed to view this promised land. Now think of this journey that he has been on. I mean, the climax of this journey is to cross over into the promised land. And he has led the people out of Egypt. You know, you think of all his dealings with Pharaoh, all the things that he witnessed, all the ways the Lord miraculously delivered them and provided for them in the wilderness all for this climax and this pinnacle of stepping over into the promised land. And now because of something that Moses has done, the Lord says, I'm only going to let you see it. That'd be a great sermon on disappointment one day, right? You know that he was disappointed and you know, as he climbed up Mount Nebo, he had to be thinking, what did I do that for? Why did I not just listen to the Lord and do it the way the Lord said to do it? And now I regret my decision to strike that rock twice. And it has brought a great sorrow to me because because of it, I can't go into the promised land. I can only see it. I still think that was pretty special and merciful of the Lord just to allow him to see it. Amen. Moses dealt with it. What about David? You know, David, you know, was a man after God's own heart. And we often uh, admire David in a lot of ways. But David as a father was was awful and David's household uh, meaning his children and grandchildren down through there his kingdom and his household was a disaster like if David lived nowadays we'd have his family and everybody we'd we'd have him meet with brother Tim every week to try to straighten all the, the the things that he's messed up in his life but you know what it all hinges back on the moment that he laid eyes on Bathsheba yeah. And began to lust for her, and because of that, um, took her as his wife and had her husband killed. That's what the, the, the tragedies in his household and the terror that his, that his children were all went back to one moment. And don't you know that brought sorrow to him? Don't you know he sat there sometimes and thought, why did I go out on that rooftop? Right. Why didn't I go into war? And, and because that was the time that the kings of Israel went into battle. Why wasn't I where I was supposed to be? But he dealt with great sorrow and regret. And you know that demon came and visited him from time to time. Right. And brought that back up to him. What about Peter? My goodness, Peter. When you think about Peter who was, uh, had a very special kinship with the Lord. And he, he saw the Lord do many miracles and he, uh, he was the one that embraced the Lord and said, you know, that, that uh, I, I, not only will I never deny you, I'll go to death for you. 
And then Peter has a, a moment of weakness. And when the men and women come and say, hey, aren't you with Jesus of Nazareth? Peter says, I don't know him. He gets so mad about it, he begins to cuss the people who are accusing him. And then the demon of regret comes on him very quickly. Right. And Peter goes out and weeps bitterly. So that's the thing about regret. I mentioned there were different shades of regret. Sometimes regret comes on you very rapidly. And sometimes regret takes a long, long time to come visit you. And that would, should be a warning for us to be careful the way we live right now. Because 20 years from now, the demon of regret may come visit you on things that you are going to do today. So that's something to think about. But the demon of regret comes on Peter very rapidly. And he goes out and he weeps bitterly. And Peter probably sat out there and thought of all the times that I've spent with the Lord. I wonder if they mean nothing to him now. As he gazed at me across the way, when he heard me deny him the three times and the cock crowed, what is the Lord thinking about me? I mean, just the, the, I mean, I can almost feel that. Can you feel it? It just almost makes you sick at your stomach. That's what regret can do. I have felt that before, been so sorrowful over something I did or said, it makes you just want to go throw up. It can be an awful, awful thing. Moses struggled with it. David struggled with it. Peter struggled with it. What about Paul? Think about Paul. You can go through and read sometime the account of, of Saul of Tarsus, who we know as Paul, and some of the things that he did to the church. I jotted a few of things down here that it mentioned in Acts, the eighth chapter, in Acts, the ninth chapter. What you have is just the account of, what's, of what uh, Saul of Tarsus was doing to the church. The book of Acts was written by uh, the physician Luke, and he is just telling this is the story of Saul. And he goes in there and he says that Saul wreaked havoc on the church. He says that he brought threatenings and slaughter against the church. Now, as you read on past uh, uh, the book of Acts, you get into some of Paul's writing. And by Paul's own admission, Paul says things like he persecuted the church beyond measure. What he's saying there is I can't even give you a list of all the things that I did to the church, it is, it is so extensive. Right. I persecuted the church beyond measure. I can't even tell you how many times I had somebody beaten. I can't tell you how many times I had somebody uh, taken out of their house and, and, and stoned. I can't tell you. Uh, you know, we, we know we have the record of Stephen being stoned. Who knows who else was stoned? Paul says it's beyond measure what I did to him. He says he was blasphemous. He persecuted, persecuted it, and he caused injury to the church. And he says he persecuted that way unto death. Paul took people and had them executed because they were preaching and teaching Jesus Christ. Now, we know that Paul has a conversion on the, uh, on the road to Damascus. He's regenerated. He's born again. But that didn't wipe his memory away. So do you wonder if Paul ever sat back there as he was gathered around the brothers and there, maybe they're all gathered around one night and they're talking and having a good time and somebody makes mention just, maybe, maybe they're not thinking and just happens to make mention of Stephen and says, boy, Stephen was a good one, wasn't he? Not realizing how that was going to cut Saul. Stephen was a good one, wasn't he? Boy, he was zealous for the faith and he was strong and he stood up and Paul's mind immediately goes to, I stood there and I held the coats of the people that killed him. You think Paul dealt with regret? Paul probably dealt with regret more than any of us ever will. So you see, regret is not for the lowly and the weak. 
Regret comes for all men at some point. And that demon comes to us and whispers to us, you have failed. Look what you have done. There is no hope. There is no return. There is no repair. And you're, you're, what you have said and what you have done is beyond fixing. Live with it. See, that's what the demon of regret wants. But I want to look at Paul just a little bit closer this morning and talk to you about dealing with regret. Now, in Philippians, the fourth or third chapter, I want to read you a couple verses here. Again, this is Paul writing to the church at Philippi, a man who had every reason to deal with regret. In verse 13, this is Paul. He says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to think about our bodies from a physical standpoint for just a second. Our bodies are, are created to be a forward-moving being. Are you with me? Nobody in here can run faster backwards than they can forwards. We're designed physically to go forward. We have eyes in front of our face, in front of our head, because we're to be looking what's in front of us. We're not, you know, maybe, a, maybe the crab was designed to go sideways. Maybe the crawfish to go backwards. But we're designed to go forward. Are you with me? Amen. Just in a physical, uh, physical uh, idea, but also in a spiritual idea. You see, spiritually speaking, we are not designed to be looking backwards all the time. Right. We're designed as spiritual beings to be looking forward. And that's what Paul says here. He says, forget those things which are behind and reach forth into those things which are before, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ. Now, in Luke the ninth chapter, it says this, a man that puts his hand to the plow and looks backwards is not fit for the kingdom of God. Now, let me be real clear. That does not mean heaven. The only way any of us are fit for heaven is because the Lord Jesus Christ did a work on the cross. Amen. This is not talking about heaven the kingdom of God is wherever the Lord is ruling and reigning. Yeah. I trust that we are experiencing the kingdom of God right now because as I said last week, Jesus tells the Pharisees that the kingdom of God cometh not with observation, but the kingdom of God lieth within you. If the, if the Lord is ruling your thoughts and reigning over your actions, you are living in the kingdom of God. And that's the visible kingdom we have now. And there's coming an eternal aspect of that, which will be translated into the eternal kingdom of God. But don't think that the kingdom of God is just something that is to come. The kingdom of God, as he said, is here. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. So the kingdom of God is wherever the Lord is ruling or reigning. And as we press into the kingdom... As we press towards a point where our thoughts and our minds are transformed in the way that the Lord would have them be, there is no place in that for looking back. Right. Because we're forward moving. And any farmer that goes and puts his hand to the plow better keep his eyes straight 
And I can remember years ago when we were disking up, you know, we were trying to figure out how to, uh, uh, we, actually we were tilling up a, a, a garden and, you know, dad was telling me how to make sure you keep a straight row. Well, what he did not say was now get on the tiller there and I want you to keep a good check behind you. Make sure you got a good, good bead on what's going on behind you. He also didn't say look right down there in front of you. He said look out. And pick a place on the horizon, pick a tree way out, and keep focused on that and keep moving. And when you're done, you're going to have a straight line. Right. You know, that's what that means when it says, I press towards the mark. You know, the definition of mark there is a very distant object. So what's Paul saying is, I got my hands on the plow. And I'm not looking back behind me, I'm looking forward. And I've got my eyes set on a mark, a distant object, and his name is Jesus Christ. And I'm pressing towards that. Amen. Now, does that mean that Paul forgot everything that ever happened? No. Does that mean when Paul uh, came to, uh, uh, when he was born again, did his mind just erase what happened with Stephen? Does his, does his mind erase dragging people out, probably by the head of their hair, screaming, tearing them away from their children to take them into prison? Maybe to be put to death? Did that erase his memory? Absolutely not. But in order for Paul to see that, what has he got to do? He's got to turn around and look backwards. And he said, I'm forgetting all that. And I'm plowing forwards. Right. You see, we all ought to be plowing in the kingdom of God. Amen. We all ought to be breaking up ground that will make it, uh, make it um, ground that will grow seed. Make it profitable ground. Break up the fields of your friends' hearts and minds yeah. so you can sow some seeds in it. Amen. But you can't do that looking backwards. Right. It's kind of like driving down the road. You've got a little rearview mirror, right? Well, how often do you look in that rearview mirror? You just glance at it, don't you? Right. You're driving down the road and you glance up and you look back forward. You glance up and you look back. You don't, if, if you spend your life looking in that rearview mirror, you're bound for disaster. What you've got to do is keep your eyes on the mark, on the distance, and plow forward. Amen. But the demon of regret, that's where he lives. He lives in your rearview mirror. And he'll begin to call your name and say, hey, Luke, you remember when you said this? Look at me, Luke. Look back here at me, Luke. And I look up in that rearview mirror, and there he is, pointing that finger like the great accuser of the brethren does. And begins to say, look at what you have done, you failure. Mm. And the more he talks, the easier it is to focus on. Him. Yeah. Well, I can't focus on that mark as I plow if I'm looking in my rearview mirror the whole time. Right. Are you with me? Yes. Now, what's interesting to me is after Paul is born again, we, we read a good bit about how he treated the church by his own admission. But Paul is not saying, let me tell you how awful of a being I was. And just leave, he doesn't do that and just leave it at that. Every time that you find Paul admitting to his failures and what he was, he's doing it to frame the stage to put the spotlight on the mercy and grace of Amen. God. Are you with me now? Are you following me? Amen. Yeah, Paul looked back in that rearview mirror. But when Paul looked in that rearview mirror, he didn't see his, uh, his uh, handful of jackets while they stoned Stephen. 
He didn't look in that rearview mirror and see all the, the havoc and the persecution that he did to the church. He may have known that was what was back there, but when he looked in his rearview mirror, all he ever saw was the grace of God. Amen. And he's clear about that when he's talking. He says, let me tell you what I was, and now let me tell you about the mercy and grace of God. Every single one of us can look back in our rearview mirrors. And we can see something that none of us like. And it's the demon of regret saying, what a failure you have been. Now, I encourage every one of you, when you look in that rearview mirror, to look at it in light of God's mercy and grace. Amen. When you look back in that rearview mirror and you see your failures, look at them, but say, praise the Lord for his mercy and grace. Amen. And eventually... If every time that demon of regret comes to you and the end result of his, him antagonizing you is you praise God, I bet you he'll leave you alone eventually. Amen. So when you look in the rearview mirror, I encourage you to look at the grace of God that he has applied to us in spite of our mistakes. Amen. Let me give you this example. I may have given you this example before. When I was probably 16 or 17, we had a, um, a Jeep, one of those little small, cool Jeeps. You know, we th I thought we were, you know, on top of the world. We have a Jeep. You know, rag top, take it off. Y'all know what I'm talking about. CJ5, for some of y'all that know. And mom and dad had gone out of town to, uh, I think they'd gone to the beach or something. Well, I thought I'd take that Jeep for a spin with one of my buddies. And just for the sake of not having to get too technical in it, I started acting a little bit foolish and thought, well, you know, it'd be really cool uh, for me to start squealing tires on this thing, you know, you know, everybody's done that like the race car drivers I said I'm gonna really squeal the tires on this thing So I get to revving this thing up and you know, and I let the clutch out here we go Well, whatever I did tore something up bad And I'm, I'm probably 15 miles from home. And it's just All the way home and I am terrified You know, and so I'm, I'm scrambling. I, said, I cannot tell my dad Dad, I tore the Jeep up because I was out squealing the tires. I can't do that. You know, he'll kill me. So I begin to think of like, well, how in the world can I get out of this? And so I call him on the phone and ruin his vacation. Because the dad's, I tore the Jeep up. Something's wrong. Well, I didn't tear it up. Just something happened to it. <laughs> just something happened to the Jeep. I don't know. I was just driving, you know, 10-2. Something happened. <clears throat> so anyway, he gets home. And I make up a lie about what I was doing. I thought it was a pretty good lie. I mean, it, it, it sounded good in my head. I lied to him about what I was doing when it tore up. So he comes out and he, he gets in the yard and he crawls up under the Jeep and he looks up under the Jeep and he, he comes out a minute or two later and he says, well, he says, uh, it looked like you were trying to squeal the tires. You know, and I did one of those Scooby-Doo, you know, shaggy gulps. You know, and I was like, how did he know? But I stuck with it. I was like, no, sir. No, I wasn't doing that. I didn't do that. He said, okay, well, that's what it looked like happened. But, you know, I, I believe you. And so I went back up into my room. And brothers and sisters, you talk about torment. Mm -hmm. You talk about the demon of regret coming on somebody. It was one of the most awful feelings I've ever had. Because I had done something I knew was wrong. And then I'd lied about it to my father. And I stayed up there for a little bit of time until I was certain that I was dead. 
I was going to die of grief. And I go back downstairs. And I said, Dad, I need to talk to you for just a second. We walked out on the front porch and we sat down on the steps of the front porch. And I said, I've lied to you. I said, I did what you assumed that it had happened. And I'm sorry. And I'm willing to pay for whatever damages I caused. And you know, he put his arm around me. And he said, I love you. I appreciate you telling me. And don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. And thank you for that grace, by the way. Amen. And when I look in my rearview mirror at that scenario, you know what I see? I see grace. Amen. And I see my father's arm around me, telling me he loved me and telling me that it's going to be okay. When Paul looked in his rearview mirror, it's very clear to me that he saw the arm of his father around him. Amen. Saying, I love you. This has been paid for. And I forgive you. That's what he did when he looked in the rearview mirror. Every single one of us make mistakes. Every single one of us fails. And the demon of regret will come on you and use that as an occasion to crush you. The Bible talks about a contrite spirit. The word contrite there means to be very much crushed. But the Lord is near to those who are of a contrite spirit. And when we're very much crushed and we hear the demon of regret calling our name, you failed as a father. You have failed as a mother. You have failed as a brother and sister. You're failing as a preacher, as a pastor. You have no friends because of the way you are. This and that and this and that. And he begins to crush you. Remember to always view his accusations in the light of God's grace. Always. Because that's what Paul did. And Paul certainly didn't lay down and die. Paul didn't say, I quit. Peter didn't say, I quit. Peter says that he has begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection. Peter looked back. And yeah, he probably saw the night he denied. But you know, best I can tell you never find him mentioning it again. Because he looked back in his rearview mirror and he saw the grace of God. And that caused him to say, you know what? Let me get my hands back on this plow. And let me set my eyes back on that mark. And whatever has happened back behind me, whatever failures I've done, if I do happen to look back, I'm going to view them in the light of God's grace. But my primary focus is to forget what's behind and to set my eyes on the mark that is before me. And I'm going to plow up the minds of my and the hearts of my friends and my family and those in my community. And I'm going to be too busy sowing seeds for the kingdom of God to have time to give the demon of regret any of my time. Amen. I encourage you to keep your hands on the plow and push forward. You've got regret. I've got regret. One of the best ways I especially tell this to young people, you're going to have regret. I don't care what you do. One of the best ways to deal with regret is to minimize having it. Amen. What you do today will affect your mindset tomorrow. Right. And wouldn't it be wonderful to be old and near death to look back and say, yeah, I've got to deal with some regret in my rearview mirror. But it's not near as much as it could have been. Because right. I kept my hand on the plow. Amen. So I encourage you to do that. I hope that's been profitable to you this morning.